Well, we are continuing our series uh, that we've been doing uh, for the past several weeks uh, and these gospel conversations. And uh, for those of you who have not been here, we've just been having some conversations about different uh, worldviews and belief systems, all for the purpose of clarifying uh, the gospel. And, uh, and so actually we're going to conclude that, uh, that series today. And today I'm going to be speaking with, uh, Dave Horowitz and, uh, you'll get to know a little bit more, uh, about Dave as he, as he shares. And, uh, the, the topic that we'll be covering, uh, today is Mormonism. And, uh, and so you'll again learn a little bit as you hear Dave sharing, uh, just a little bit why, why he's a part of our, of our conversation. But before we continue and go forward, I just want to pray and ask God to continue to lead us as we desire to hear from God. So would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of God. We thank you for how the word of God and the truth of God, how it works in the lives of people. And we thank you for the stories that come out of that uh, transformational truth. Lord God, we pray that uh, even this conversation today, you would bless it. Um, You'd give the words that you desire to be shared from, from Dave, from me, and Lord, it would be pleasing to you, glorifying to you, and helpful to, to those who are listening and understanding and clarifying what it is uh, that the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ conveys. So we ask your blessing upon this time in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So as I mentioned, uh, Dave Horowitz is... Uh, is here this morning for those of you again who don't know him and Dave I just thought it'd be good to start with maybe if you could tell uh, the congregation just a little bit more uh, about yourself okay so I uh, was born and raised in California lived there for almost 18 years graduated from high school uh, shortly after graduating we moved to northeastern Pennsylvania I lived here for about seven years where I went to college graduated from college met and married my wife Jamie um, Shortly after us getting married, we moved to Utah. We lived there for about 19 years, and then we moved back here. Shortly after moving back here, we found Fellowship Church and made this our home church. Okay. Great. Thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about just the religious background that you had uh, growing up. So growing up, I didn't really have much religious background. I mean, I knew there was a God, but uh, we didn't go to church or anything about the only exposure I had to God was uh, through my grandma who actually lived here in Pennsylvania. Okay. So obviously we're talking about Mormonism today. So can you tell us a little bit about how, how you got introduced to Mormonism? So it's kind of two part for me. I was introduced uh, when I lived in California. I liked to play basketball after track practice and I had a friend, Nathan. He invited me to play basketball on a team he was on. He didn't tell me at the time, but the team was actually a Mormon team. Mm -hmm. uh, so we went and played, um, and over the course of that, he invited me to church. I went to church once with him. Didn't really pique my interest. And it was later in life when we moved to Utah that I was really exposed to the culture because it's predominantly Mormon there. So I had several co-workers, friends who were Mormon, and they would just discuss things with me. So in, in Salt Lake, it was, it was a pretty prominent in the, just in the culture there? Yeah, it's pre, that's the predominant religion there. Okay. Um, we've talked a lot about 
um, ourselves as we've been talking about this, some different uh, belief uh, parts of Mormonism, but how, how would you describe what Mormonism is just in basic terms? So it's, in my opinion, kind of a counterfeit Christianity. There's a lot of things that they take from our beliefs uh, and it, it sounds really genuine, sounds Christian until you really start getting into the nuts and bolts of it. Okay. And as I think that word counterfeit is a, is a really interesting word from the standpoint that it, uh, it is something that you will, sometimes you'll look at it and think it's the real thing, but it's, it's not. It's meant to look like it, but not really. So I think just keeping that even in mind as we're continuing to talk about this, um, I think could be really helpful. Um, it, this, for you, wasn't necessarily a, even though you were surrounded by it in, uh, in Salt Lake and your friends and your coworkers, you, this was not really a belief system that um, you were being drawn to yourself, but you were, you were exposed to it. Um, and tell us a little bit just about how that caused in you a desire not to learn so much because you were trying to become one, but to actually help others who believed it. Isn't that kind of how you approached it? Yeah, as since it's so predominant out there, I felt kind of necessary to learn what they believe uh, so I could evangelize to them. Yeah, so your goal was really to, to learn what you could as a way to be a witness uh, of the gospel. Right. So we want to talk a little bit about um, some of what... Um, what the Mormon belief is. And again, Dave will be sharing more from just his experience um, and uh, just to be helpful to all of us because I don't think this is one that many of us are actually very familiar with uh, at all. Um, let's start with uh, Joseph Smith. Um, just again, from your, from your experience and talking to so many people and living in that culture, why, why is he so important and what did you find out that others believe about him? So Joseph Smith is the founder of the religion. Uh, he was trying to decide what church to go to, um, prayed about it to determine what uh, denomination he could go to. While doing that, he was confronted by two angelic beings who told him that all those religions were apostate and that he needed to uh, basically correct it all. So he was, he was on a mission to correct uh, Christianity. And part of that also was that he, um, he didn't really believe that any of the churches that existed were in any way something that j himself or any of his followers should go to right. as well. Um, there are some specific theological differences. Uh, I want to talk at least about a few of them. We obviously don't have time to talk about all of these, but let's start with just beliefs about the Bible. We start talking about the Bible, what we believe and understand about the Bible and, and, and Mormons. What would be some of the differences that you would uh, bring out there? So they don't hold the Bible as the most sacred book. Uh, the Book of Mormon for them is the most sacred book. Uh, the Bible is good as long as it's translated correctly. Uh, Joseph Smith actually translated the Bible himself. It's the new inspired version. And that's uh, vastly different than the Bible we use. Okay. So they would still, they would still recognize 
what we would consider to be the canon of scripture, but they're, they've added to it. Yes. Um, uh, what about uh, beliefs about uh, God and just um, progressing to, uh, to godhood? So they believe that the God they serve, their heavenly father, was once a man. He progressed to godhood. Uh, they will be given the opportunity to do the same thing according to completing their works that they do in the temple, different things like that. And they will be given that opportunity to progress into godhood themselves as well. Okay. And what about Jesus? Jesus, they believe, was God the Father's firstborn son. And he uh, came to earth and earned his way to godhood. Yeah. So again, as you start to really break this down, you really start to see some of the significant differences. Uh, what about heaven and eternal life? So their idea of heaven's a little different. They, they say there's three levels of heaven. Uh, if they do all their works, they'll go to the highest level where they on earth can be married in the temple and they could have their wife for time eternity and produce spirit children through physical means, um, which will then inhabit their new planet that they create. Is that, from, from your experience growing up around other Mormons, was that a big part of how they told other people about what it is that they believed, that idea of actually using that as a way to draw people into the religion, that idea of being married and for the rest, you know, for all of eternity and just the whole family aspect? The family aspect they did, not as far as becoming a god. That was kind of left out until deeper conversations. But yeah, the family value was very, very big for them. And it's what drew a lot of people to the religion. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it seems to be fundamental to what they hold to this, the whole idea of family and, yeah. uh, in, and just the way that families work. What about, um, what about polygamy? That is a way, a, a, for, for many Mormons, it's a way of life. Um, can you talk a little bit about, about that? So when the religion was first founded, uh, what I've been told is that that was a commandment from God is to have multiple wives so you could repopulate when you progressed to godhood. Uh, the actual Mormon church, not any of the spinoffs, has actually kind of drawn back on that. They no longer officially practice polygamy or any of that. Yeah, I've seen in some of the research that I was doing that depending on who the leader was, if they had new revelation on that, it would change their view and so they've had leaders who said no polygamy and then they had another one who would say yes and so it's kind of varied as new revelation right new revelation came um you talked to me a little bit about the the importance of the mormon temple um and like getting married in the mormon temple would be different than getting married somewhere else can you talk a little bit about that yeah, from what I've been told, getting married just in a regular, what they call, it's a church meeting house, it's called a ward house. You get married there, it's just just a marriage basically for earth. Uh, it doesn't carry on into eternity, but if you get married in the temple, that allows you to continue to be married as you go into heaven. Okay. And also, um, I remember you mentioning how they even view 
a, a Mormon who I guess would be married in a Mormon temple would be would get pregnant, and then they would see that as the whole the whole spirit children. Could you? Kind yes. Of, I know it's kind of confusing to even explain, but could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So once the couple goes into eternity, basically, in their spirit bodies, they produce children through physical means. Those children are spirit children, and they will just kind of wait around until the heaven and earth that they created has a, a human who's ready to conceive, and then that spirit child will go down into that body. So someone could could think that their pregnancy was the opportunity for then a spirit child to enter into into that physical body. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we also talked a little bit about some of the similarities as we were discussing this between we had part of this series we talked about Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, and there seem to be some similarities between Jehovah's Witnesses and, and Mormons. Uh, what are some that you, would, that you would see? The big one is uh, missions. When uh, adults, when they become 18, uh, men especially, are expected to go on a mission. On that mission, they're sent wherever the uh, meeting house tells them to go. And their duties are basically to knock door to door and spread the Mormon message. Okay, which is, again, kind of similar. So, you know, for those of us who, you, it is possible that when someone, is, I mean, they don't do that so much anymore, the knocking on doors, but um, it could be, you might assume it's a Jehovah's Witness, but it could also be a Mormon um, who'd be doing the same kind of thing, which would obviously be a different belief system. Um, we talked about the, the most appealing aspect of, of this a religion to those that seem to embrace it. And I know you mentioned this a little bit already, but that family aspect is, is something that you saw as, as much as a big part of the appealing uh, draw to people, correct? Right. Yeah, they, uh, they have commercials. They play on the commercials. They just really tug on your heartstrings with the family values. And they're, they're doing a lot of really good things as far as pulling families together. Uh, but that's what they really, really push for is it, that families are forever. Yeah, and you can see when you start to look into their theology why, why that is, especially what they understand about eternal life. Um, what about those that you have witnessed or seen that have left Mormonism? Uh, what are some of the common reasons that, that you've at least seen that people leave? So... From my experiences, when people start questioning things, uh, usually brought to them by Christians, they start bringing those questions to their bishops and other church leaders, and they're basically told, don't question what we're telling you, accept it. And once they start pushing it further, they're, they're kind of pushed out, they're shunned from the rest of the congregation, a lot of times even shunned from their families. Mm-hmm. And you kind of experienced that a little bit yourself with a friend that was a close friend of yours. I think it was, it was Daniel who got married in, uh, you know, in the Mormon church and then seemed to just distance from you. Yeah, he was, we were really good friends with uh, him and his fiance. Uh, we did a lot of things together, but as soon as they got married in the Mormon temple, they completely disassociated with us, didn't have anything to do with us from that point forward. 
Um, what about people coming out of it into a, a saving relationship with Christ? Um, I know you said that you didn't, you saw some of this in your church, in the church you were attending, which was again, again a biblical church. Um, what, what do you think specifically draws people from, again, what you've seen into, uh, towards the gospel from a Mormon belief system? It's just really sharing the gospel in a loving, non-judgmental way and just kind of nurturing them and, and really showing them the truth. And you had some, you had a friend that you said was a Mormon that you were able to have some really hard conversations with. You described it. What did, what did you mean by that? Well, like the uh, marriage for a time and eternity, that's not something that's typically brought out just uh, through door-to-door knocking. That Those conversations were from him and I. He would ha- ask me really difficult Christian questions, and I, in turn, would ask him really difficult Mormon questions, and we could just have an honest conversation about it. Okay. And how, how would you say Mormons typically characterize evangelical Christians? They, from my experience, they believe that we, we got half right, that there's a lot of things that we're not really enlightened to, but that we're sort of on the right track. Yeah, and they will, because of their focus on Christ, which they do have a focus on Christ, will consider themselves to be Christians. Um, So that can be confusing sometimes to other Christians who say, oh, I met another Christian. Um, I think it's just another reason why we need to be discerning as to when we hear that, that we need to discern what is what that might mean, uh, and this is another example of that. Why I know this was uh, this was not easy for Dave to come on stage here, but I also know that it was important to you. Um, you really felt it was important to take time to talk about uh, Mormonism specifically. Can you tell us a little bit about why that was something that was so important to you? Oh, you kind of touched on it a little bit. The the importance for me is that they are making this push that they're Christian and uh, it it breaks my heart in a sense that a lot of these Mormons think they're Christian. They think they're going to go to heaven when we, we know that there's so many differences and I just can't help, but we need to shine the light to them and show them that they're, they're not the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to come and and share with us. And again, there's definitely more to the story that uh, that Dave could share. Um, And so if you don't know him, I encourage you to get to know him and uh, his wife, Jamie, and uh, just let him share a little bit uh, about about this. Uh, But thank you again for coming and being a part of of our conversation today. Thank you. Thank you. So as we continue, again, Dave, thank you for coming and uh, sharing with us. And as you already know from a previous uh, ser- uh, the, the series that we've been doing, I don't have a lot of time, but there always seems to be a lot to cover. <laughs> so um, I want to get right into uh, some of the teaching on this and just continue to uh, bring some things out based on some of the things that we talked about already with Dave. 
Uh, and the first thing is uh, just that the official name of, uh, of the Mormon church is the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so right away, Jesus Christ is in there and can be something that could be confusing to us. Uh, it's sometimes abbreviated to the LDS Church, uh, Latter-day Saints. Uh, it's headquartered in Salt Lake City, uh, Utah. And um, what it claims is to have a continuing succession of what they call true and living prophets. And so the people who lead are, are true and living prophets. And all of these prophets can receive new revelation from God. Uh, the church reported a membership of almost 17 million people in 2021. So this is not a small number of people. And there's also a Mormon church right here uh, in the Back Mountain um, on, on Manor Road. So this is relevant even for all of us here in Dallas. I want to give you a little bit of a history of the church. Uh, we mentioned already a little bit about Joseph Smith. In 1820, he claimed to have received a vision from God. He was 14 years old at the time, and he received this vision in a sacred grove of trees near his home in Palmyra, New York. And what he said is that both uh, God the Father and Jesus Christ appeared to him, and that Christ warned him to stay away from all churches uh, because all of them had abandoned the true faith. He believed that it was his mission to restore Christianity to the earth. In 1830, he published a new scripture, uh, the Book of Mormon, which he said he translated from sacred uh, golden plates or tablets. And these golden plates were buried in the ground on a hill near his home. And so they were unearthed and then revealed to him. And what he said was that an angel uh, by the name of Moroni appeared to him in his bedroom in 1823, and the angel then authorized Joseph Smith to recover the plates and to translate them. And then the Book of Mormon was then later supplemented by two other sacred texts that they have, Doctrine and Covenants, uh, also uh, known as D&C, and then the Pearl of Great Price. And the D&C really is a collection of Smith's prophecies, and the Pearl of Great Price uh, claimed to be translated from Egyptian scrolls, and these scrolls were actually purchased from a traveling antiquities dealer in Ohio. And what Smith claimed is that one of the scrolls contained the actual handwriting of Abraham uh, from the book of Genesis. And so Smith then translated one of these scrolls into the book of Abraham, which became part of the Pearl of Great Price. Now, what's interesting is at that time, no one could translate that ancient Egyptian text of the scrolls that he had. But after the discovery of the Rosetta Stone, not the app, the real thing, uh, there is a real thing, uh, these scrolls could then be translated, and they were. And then it was determined that the scroll is actually a text from the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and it has nothing to do with Abraham or Genesis. Egyptian experts have since acknowledged as they've looked over uh, the scroll that not even a single word of that scroll was translated correctly. And so this is the antithesis of what we have here in the word of God. With the Bible, we have, we have so many copies of manuscripts 
Uh, and what we hold today are, are preserved translations of the very words that were penned by the original authors. And yet in, uh, in the Mormon church, uh, Kirtland, Ohio, which is where this, uh, this, these scrolls were purchased, uh, that actually became the location of the first Mormon temple uh, built in 1836. And so it, it, it still carried weight for them. Then in 1843, Smith received a revelation authorizing him to engage in plural marriages, and eventually that revelation became part of the Doctrine and Covenants. In 1844, Smith and his brother were killed by an angry mob, and uh, the Mormon church after that kind of fractured a little bit, but most stayed together and followed one of Smith's Uh, main apostles or disciples, his name was Brigham Young, and it was Young who led them to Salt Lake City. And so the Mormon church started with Joseph Smith and had six members in its earliest days. By 1947, it was one million. By 1963, two million. In 2007, 13 million, and now stands at almost 17 million and continues to grow which is, again, why we're taking time to talk about it and why I know Dave wanted to as well. What I'd like to do now is clarify some of the theological differences. Um, and again, that is what we're seeking to do here. We're not seeking to make fun. We're not seeking to, to do that. We are seeking to clarify differences and distinctions of the true gospel, the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel that's according to the scriptures. So, As we go through these differences, it's important to note that with Mormon teaching, revelation continues. So some things can and have changed uh, depending on who is leading and receiving the new revelation. So the first area of theological difference is God. And we heard a little bit already about it. Mormon's uh, belief, the the belief that that Mormons hold to is that God the Father was once a man and actually lived on another planet and that he progressed to godhood, which allowed him then to become the God that that they believe he is. In 1844, in one of his most famous sermons, Smith said, God himself was once as we are now and as an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. We have supposed that God was God from all eternity. Then he says, I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see he was, a, he was once a man like us, yea, that God himself, the father of us all, dwelt on an earth the same as Jesus Christ himself did. But that's not what God said about himself in his word, right? So Smith was not taking away the veil. He wasn't taking away the veil. He wasn't, he wasn't shining light to the truth. This, this is where we need to be more discerning as Christians and understanding what it means to shine light uh, and what it means to remove veils. We're, we're, we're clarifying scripture, not, not confusing it. And uh, Psalm 90 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's, 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 how, that's what God has revealed about himself in the word. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God, right? 
In the beginning, God. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So we, we're, we're talking about an eternal God. Smith came up with a theology that tried to make God like us. And that's what we do as humans. We, we try to make him more like us, but God is not like us. He's eternal, and he is completely self-existent. And, and we got to remember that about God, because sometimes we like to make God exist as, as, as if he is not self-existent, and meaning that he kind of needs us. But that would, not, that would make him not God. And, and so again, we just see confusion here. Now moving on to, to Jesus Christ. Mormon, Mormon belief claims that Jesus Christ was the firstborn spirit child of the heavenly father and a heavenly mother. Jesus then progressed to deity in and through the spirit world, and later he was conceived in Mary's womb as the only begotten son of God the father in the flesh. This is blasphemous. This is not who the scriptures reveal Jesus to be. Jesus did not have to progress to anything. He is and always has been God. When he was born in Bethlehem, he wasn't progressing to Godhood. He came as God in human flesh to save us, not to progress in his deity, which is why Paul wrote in Colossians 1, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, referring to Christ. Trinity, Mormon belief claims that the Father, Son, and Spirit are three distinct gods and that there could actually be many thousands of gods because humans themselves can ascend to Godhood. But that's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches one God, three distinct persons, each fully God. Humanity, Mormon doctrine teaches that all humans lived in heaven as children of the heavenly father and mother before being born physically to human parents. So you were in heaven before being born physically, and then two of God's sons, Jesus and his spirit brother, Lucifer, both wanted to be savior of the earth. Lucifer rebelled against Elohim, which is a word that they'll use to describe God, and again, that does come from scripture, and a third of the spirit children joined Lucifer. The remaining two-thirds of spirit children who remained faithful to the Father were then blessed to be born to human parents on earth. And again, this is blasphemous. It is not at all what the scripture teaches. And it leads to a, it leads, this, what you're hearing about humanity leads us to their understanding about eternal life. In Mormon doctrine, every person will be released from spirit prison and from paradise, one of those two places, uh, and they will progress to one of three heavens. So they essentially have a universalist approach because everyone's gonna go to one of these three uh, heavens. The telestial kingdom is the lowest heaven, and that's for those who did not live good lives. That's really the worst of humanity, but they say it's better than earth, actually far better than earth. The terrestrial kingdom is the middle heaven. This is for religious and moral people who never became Mormon. So that would be really us. Like we would be classified as evangelical Christians in the terrestrial kingdom because we're not Mormons, but we are religious. So we get the terrestrial kingdom. The celestial kingdom is only for those who are Mormon. 
and part of the LDS church. But the celestial kingdom has three sections to it. And only the worthiest Mormons make it to the highest level. And they will achieve the state of godhood and become heavenly mothers and fathers of new earths. And they can procreate millions of their own spirit children. And so this is, this is really just some of what Joseph Smith and his followers say. But the question that we always should be asking, is this what God says? That should always be the question, because if God has spoken, right, then we need to hear and understand what God has said. So now I want to read what God has said in in 2 Corinthians 11. This is Paul writing to the Christians living in Corinth, a pagan and corrupt city. And he says to these Christians that were struggling with a lot of different things, he says in verse 1, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. You could see the passion that Paul has. He said, "I, I gave you the truth. And and I gave you a picture of the real God, the real Jesus. But I'm afraid, verse 3, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. In other words, you shouldn't be doing that. What do we see here? Paul compares the cunning of the serpent to Eve in the garden to the cunning of the false teachers in Corinth. And and what was cunning and crafty about their deception? What was cunning and crafty about their deception? Well, it was this. They questioned the sufficiency of Christ in all things. That's what they were questioning. And, and, I, and I want you to put this together. As you've heard today, and over the past several weeks, you should see a common thread coming through. The sufficiency of Christ is questioned in all of these worldviews. Jesus is either good, he's a prophet, he's nice, he's one of many ways, but the all-sufficiency of the person and the work of Christ is questioned. And, and we, as, as biblical Christians, need to understand, make no mistake, that Christ is enough. He is God himself in the flesh. He's fully God. His atonement, his work, his death, it paid for and dealt with our sin. There's no other way to deal with it. We're not trying to progress on our own. We don't need human progression. We need divine salvation. And only through Jesus Christ can you be saved from the penalty of your sin. So it's not Jesus plus human progression. It's Jesus alone. Now, what does this deception lead us away from? Because Paul answers that here. It leads us away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, verse 3. 
It leads us away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Don't, don't miss this. Once you begin to question the all-sufficiency of Christ, once your religion, once your worldview, once your worldview, whatever that may be, once it becomes Jesus, yeah, Jesus is fine, and something else, you are being led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. Because, because that's what was going on early in the church. Was it was always going to be Christ and, and something else. And, and, and many times it was, it was Christ and, and moving to, to becoming more Jewish. In the case of, of Corinth, it was, it was carnality or just giving in to, uh, to, to sinful desires when, when you shouldn't and not, not remaining true to Christ. But once you have a worldview that begins to entertain Jesus and something else, you are already on the track of being led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's what, that's what concerned Paul so much. And this is the biggest danger of all the false gospels that are out there today. The, the, the false, uh, the, the danger of the, of the, of the prosperity gospel, it, there's, there's a lot, but part of it is that it's, it's, it's Jesus and, and something else. It's not the all-sufficiency of Christ, it's, it's Christ and, and all this success, Right and and the promise with the with the social justice gospel it's it's Jesus but not just Jesus Jesus and social reform and all of these things get attached and the, it is a slippery slope to being led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ so Paul says here what is deceptively put into the place of a sincere and pure devotion to Christ? Because it's not just that you're being led away from the sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Something is taking its place. What's taking its place? Well, he tells us, first, a different Jesus. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, what you're going to get when you start to be led away is a different Jesus. There are worldviews and there are religious systems that are proclaiming Jesus. They're doing it. They're, they're literally taking text from the New Testament, putting it on the bottom of their materials and saying, yes, this is who Jesus is. But it's a different Jesus. It's another Jesus. It's a false Jesus. We have to recognize that the Jesus of the LDS church is not the Jesus of the scriptures. It's a different Jesus. It's another Jesus. It's different from what? Well, Paul even tells us that. Different from what? From the Jesus that was proclaimed to you. The one that was revealed to you by God himself and by his word. That Jesus is not the same. When you hear another Jesus, a different Jesus, you need to reject it. That doesn't mean you reject the person doesn't mean that you mistreat the person. It's why we're trying to take such care and how we're talking about these things. But it doesn't mean also that, that we go down the road of 
of being led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. But you need to know who the real Jesus is. We need to know who he is to know who he's not. And that's what he's saying. That's what, that's what Paul's saying here. The Jesus that was proclaimed to you, you're, you're being led away from him. So we reject a Jesus that's been created. Right? We, we reject a, a, a progressing Jesus. We reject a prosperity Jesus. We reject a, a social justice Jesus. Why? Because it's not the Jesus revealed to us. It's another Jesus. It's a different Jesus. It's Jesus in something else. But it's not just that. It's a different spirit he warns us of in verse 4. If you receive a different spirit, different from what? From the spirit that you received. If you begin hearing about another spirit, a spirit that's somehow not part of the triune God, a spirit that's a force, a spirit that's an energy, a spirit that does really what you want. You know, when I really feel the spirit of God, which I, I'm, just, I'm just feeling like he just really wants me to be happy. That's a different spirit. That's not necessarily the spirit of God because the spirit of God's desire in your life is to make you like Christ. And to be made like Christ, you are going to have to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. So it's different. That spirit needs to be rejected. The spirit that is not like the one you received. Then it's a different gospel. If you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, a different message. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? It is the, the good news, right? Well, what's the good news that we proclaim. And what's the good news of the gospel? Think about that. When you hear, when you're out there in the culture and they're presenting you a different Jesus or a different message and you're going, there's something wrong about that. I don't know what it is. I can't identify it, but it's tricky. It's deceptive. Ask yourself, okay, what's the good news of that message? Because if it's not bringing you to the cross, if it's not bringing you to where, where the good news of Jesus' message brings you, then you start to know it's a different gospel What's the good news of the Mormon gospel? Well, you can progress to godhood. You can attain eternal life in the highest level of the celestial kingdom if you do certain things and believe certain things. What is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That the God of the universe loves you, created you, but you rebelled and sinned against him and he has sent his son Jesus to die in your place. You should have died for the sins that you committed, but he died instead to pay for the penalty of your sins. And if you believe and trust in him alone in faith, you can be forgiven. You can be reconciled to God and God will save you. That's a different good news message. You're not becoming a God. God is coming to you and rescuing you from eternal damnation. And he's doing it out of grace and love. And there is no other way. Only through Jesus Christ. That is the, the gospel of salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. And that has been the goal of this series. I really want you to understand that. The goal of this series has been to know, to help you to know 
the real and true gospel, to see the differences between pure gospel and false gospel so that none of us would be led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ and who he has revealed himself to be. Because you know what? Our enemy is seeking to lead you away. Don't act or walk around thinking that's not happening, that he's not actively seeking to lead you away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That is what he wants, and that is what, that is what he wants to seek to do in your life. And he is providing many ways in the world around us for people to do that. We need to be discerning and know the true gospel and remain faithful to the word of God, to the truth of God, and to the good news that he has proclaimed. We're going to be having, as uh, Pastor Tim mentioned, we're going to be having our coffee talk tonight for more discussion and questions. If you'd like to be a part of that, talk more about this with some of, uh, of our guests who were able to be a part of the series. Uh, we're, we're not claiming to have all the answers by no means, but we just want to have a conversation more and, uh, and actually some discussion together. So you can be a part of that if you'd like tonight at uh, 6.30 and we'll talk some more. But I'm glad you have had the opportunity to not only get truth through this, but I'm so glad you had the opportunity to hear some stories from the people in our own church. Um, there are so many more out there, um, and uh, I encourage you to even get to know some of those who shared and others as well, as we continue to encourage each other uh, to stay faithful to the Lord God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you, God, that you have given us everything we need. We are not lacking. We, we don't need to wake up tomorrow and go, I need new revelation. What we need is to go into the revelation that God has given to us. His word, his son, the spirit of God, and lean into, lean into those those truths, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be wise, Lord, and may we not be led astray from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. Help us to remain faithful to you and may, may the teaching and this series and the things we've talked about be a way that that happens, Lord. All for your glory and honor in Jesus' name, amen.